Welcome to Pushing the Limits, the show that helps you reach your full potential with your host, Lisa Tarmati, brought to you by lisatarmati.com. Well, hi, everyone. Lisa Tarmati here back at Pushing the Limits, and it's fantastic to have you with me again. Today, I have a very special guest all the way from Denver, Colorado, Jason Fitzgerald, who is a man I have followed for many years on social media and through his website. He is a fellow running coach, a USA certified track and field coach, and he's an incredible man with an incredible following uh, and great authority around in the area of running. And he also has a very similar philosophy to our training system Um, and you might think well you compete competitors but it really doesn't matter because this guy is epic and I really love what he does and what uh, how it aligns really with what we do as well so I do hope you enjoy this session with Jason Fitzgerald he's a really awesome guy Um, he has a podcast called strengthrunning.com and his website is also strengthrunning.com so make sure you check him out there. Now before we go over to Jason I just wanted to uh, let you know we are running every couple of weeks our epigenetics webinar. Now this is a health program that we run that is all about your epigenetics, your DNA and how it influences your life and your health and what you can do to optimize. This is like getting a user manual for your body. So if you want to join us on the next webinar that will be taking place, please go to epigenetics.lisatarmaty.com and you can register for the next webinar. We're holding these every two weeks at the moment. Um, And you can find out all about this program, what it does, how it can personalize everything to your health needs. It's not only covering nutrition, which it certainly does, uh, but also your fitness, but even things like your personality, your mind, how it works, what parts of your brain you use the most. It's a very robust system that will help you in every area of your life. Now, we use this in the corporate setting for individual athletes and for the general public for their health. So it's a program that spans all of those areas and is a really, really exciting uh, thing that we've been doing now for a couple of years. I'd just like to remind you too that we, uh, my book, Relentless, How a Mother and Daughter Defied the Odds, is still available. Uh, it's in bookstores all throughout New Zealand, and I would love to uh, for you to check that out and to read that. Um, and if you have read it, I'd really appreciate a rating and review on that book, of course. You can email me with that, uh, or you can do it on somewhere like goodreads.com. It was a real passion project doing this book. It was a two-year project, and I really wanted to share the journey back to health that my mother and I went on together, getting her back from not much over a vegetative state with massive brain damage at the age of 74 and with a prognosis from the medical professionals saying that she would never, ever have any quality of life again to three years later being fully rehabilitated and now having a fully independent life, even has a driver's license and a full power of attorney back over her life. It's an incredible story. It's an empowering story, and I would love you to read it and to understand what goes into the mindset of winning in something like this and overcoming the odds, not to mention the fact that we all all need to take control of our own health and take responsibility for our own health and not give up our 
our control to any one person. And that's what this podcast is really all about. It's empowering you. It's giving you the latest information. It's all around health. It's all around fitness. It's around mindset. It's about the latest in breakthroughs and science and health science. Uh, and I love doing this. So if you do enjoy the podcast, I would also really uh, appreciate you giving the show a rating and review on iTunes is especially important um, or if you're listening on one of the other platforms please do it there uh, it, it really helps the show this is a labor of love so I really appreciate you all doing that right now without further ado over to Jason Fitzgerald in Denver Colorado well, hi, everyone, and welcome back. Today, I have a very, very special guest, Jason Fitzgerald, who is in Denver, Colorado. Uh, you've probably, if you're a runner, heard this name. Um, Jason is one of the most uh, successful online running coaches in the world um, and an incredible athlete himself. And Jason, I was on Jason's show not long ago, which was a real privilege, um, and he's agreed to be on my show. So welcome to the show, Jason. How are you doing? I'm doing great, Lisa. Thanks so much for having me. I'm excited to be here, and it's always good to connect with you. Oh, it's, it's fantastic. You know, I'd, I've admired your work for a long, long time, and, um, you know, we seem to have <clears throat> quite a few uh, similar philosophies. We've come from very different backgrounds, but I, I wanted to, you know, give the, the listeners a bit of a, um, a background into you in case they haven't um, heard of you before. Can you tell us a little about your incredible running career and now your incredible coaching career? Yeah, sure. So uh, I got started running as a freshman in high school, just trying out for the cross country team. I actually really hated running at the time and uh, thought that I could high jump on the cross country team. And uh, I didn't even know what cross country was like. My mom said, oh, it's like track. I, I think you'll like it. And so I showed up in big mesh shorts, never having actually gone on a run a day in my life beforehand. And then I realized that my God, all we're doing is running every single day. You know, I was the kid in middle school who was throwing the shot put as like a 110 pound eighth <laughs> grader because I just wanted to avoid all of the, the running events during track and field week. So mm -hmm. I kind of did an about face. I went from being a basketball player as a, a young kid. And then in high school, I started with cross country and indoor track, then outdoor track. And I just got addicted to the sport of running very quickly, right. uh, partly because I just had a great time with the guys on my team and I really respected my coach, but also because just that feeling of being in control of your athletic destiny, mm -hmm. it was such an objective sport to me. You know, who, who can run the fastest over a certain distance? It's so pure. And I yep. really liked that. I loved seeing personal progress for myself in the sport where, you know, I could put in the work and then I would run a race and I would get faster. And that sense of accomplishment and achievement is what really hooked me on the sport of running. So yeah, I went from being a basketball player to being a three season endurance runner practically overnight. And yeah, I ran all three seasons throughout high school. I ran cross country and two seasons of track every year for mm -hmm. Connecticut College, wow. which is um, a small liberal, liberal arts school in New London, Connecticut. And, um, you know, once I graduated, a lot of my teammates and, and really good running friends, you know, they stopped running, but I just yeah. couldn't. I, I <laughs> wanted to race other distances. Uh, I got into some of the longer distances, the 10 mile half marathon, the marathon, 
Uh, I ran an obstacle course race, started getting into triathlons, you know, just for fun, just to experiment and, you know, experience these new events. And, um, yeah, you know, I, I've just been in love with the sport for over 20 years and it's something that, you know, I'm going to be doing for a very long time. And I, I always knew that I wanted to be involved somewhere in the running community, whether that was a coach or, or some other element of, uh, the running world. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I wasn't good enough to be an elite runner. Mm -hmm. So I thought, you know, maybe I can be a coach somewhere. And, you know, uh, I think it was about, let's see, my God, 13 years ago, I bought the domain name strengthrunning.com because <laughs> I thought it sounded cool. Yes. And a couple of years later, I, I eventually did something with that. And I started strengthrunning.com. And the reason for that was I really felt like I had something to share with the world because I had such an injury prone running career where, you know, everything from Achilles tendinopathy, plantar fasciitis, IT band syndrome. Mm -hmm. uh, I used to get my SI joint all out of whack pretty consistently. And, you know, I just missed all this time. And, you know, like any runner, you know, the worst experience is to get an injury and yeah. not be able to do the thing that you love so much, which is running. So, you know, after my first marathon, uh, I got this six month long IT band syndrome injury. Uh, and I, I almost didn't start running again. I, it was a very kind of depressive period in my life where, you know, I was just sitting on the couch eating Oreos and watching reruns of house because, uh, I just didn't know what to do with myself. But eventually I thought, you know, I can't just not run anymore. It's just such an integral part of my identity that, you know, I just went all in on recovery. I started seeing way more physical therapists. I started doing a lot of independent research on my own. And, you know, I finally got healthy, finally was able to run without any pain. And I did make certain adjustments and changes to my training so that mm -hmm. I wouldn't get hurt so often. Mm -hmm. And, you know, it's been great. In the last nine years, I've really only had one major injury wow. uh, compared with, you know, the previous nine years where I had, you know, six, seven or eight. Yep. So it's been a big turnaround over the last, um, you know, nine years or so since that first marathon that I ran. And that really was the impetus for me starting strength running was, you know, let's make sure that runners are training appropriately. Let's yep. avoid all the common mistakes that I made in my training. Yep. And I knew that for me, you know, for someone who's had more than 10 coaches themselves, for me to be making these big mistakes, I can't imagine that an adult runner who starts running when they're, you know, 30 or 40 or 50 they're probably going to be making even more mistakes. So yeah, you know, I thought probably. about the broader running community and I thought to myself, I don't, I don't want people making these big mistakes because, you know, it leads to injury. It leads to the inability to accomplish your goals and you're just not really having as much fun as you could with the sport of running. So that was why I started strength running. That was back in 2010. And here we are a decade wow. later, still going yeah. strong. <laughs> That's an incredible, um, nice little summary. And, you know, when you say you, you went an elite runner, I mean, your your top marathon time was 2.39 people. So, you know, Jason's right up there. <laughs> it was a very, very good, very, very good runner. Um, and, and it's funny, isn't it? Like people, when they think then they don't run and they first time they come to running and the, or they do it at school, and I have to admit, you know, I did cross country at school and I hated it too, um, you know, and, 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 and it's quite funny that you grow up to be a runner, so to speak. Um, and, you know, 
I think it's really important. See, this journey that you've been on where you had injuries, you had some issues, and now you've managed to do a deep dive, really, you know, because I love your material that you bring out. And there's, I think, you know, our, our philosophies really collide. And the whole strength running um, thing is, is just so important. Can you, can you delve into why, why is it that runners tend to, when they don't have a coach especially, just want to run and why is that they just want to collect miles or kilometers and they don't necessarily want to do all the other pieces of the puzzle what are the other pieces of the puzzle in your opinion uh people probably know what mine are and why is it important that you don't just collect miles that's a really important question and it's one of the big things that i had to address in my own training and i think when you have a coach who has experience and perspective, not just a basic understanding of running's fundamentals, but really has perspective on you know what drives performance and and what drives you to not achieve a good high level of performance, then the coach has a much better ability to view a runner not really as a runner but as an athlete that specializes in running rather mm -hmm. than a runner. Mm -hmm. And, you know, some people might say, oh, this is just semantics. And I really don't think so. I think it shifts our perspective. And I've been talking more about this over the last maybe year or so, because I think it's so fundamental and important. Runners are not just runners. We are athletes. Mm -hmm. That means our training can't just be running, yeah. you know, and, and we can look at any other sport and see this at play. And so we shouldn't think that we're special. We are not snowflakes. <laughs> we should... <laughs> We should abide by the same rules as other athletes. If you look at a football player, uh, let's just use American football. They don't play football every day as their only form of exercise. Exactly. They are doing drills. They are in the weight room lifting weights. And they are doing so many other things with their bodies to make them physically capable for the sport. You can see that in soccer. You can see that in uh, rugby. You can see it in almost any other sport. They don't just play the sport. They do other things. And so it's that frame that I think is super helpful for runners to really, you know, embed and ingrain in their mentality. So, that's you know, when very, they're looking at a training a really good, plan. That's a really good way of looking at it. So I never sort of thought of it like that. I mean, you know, I'd always explain what the aspects of a training plan are for me that, 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 that work. But to actually put it in the perspective of what other sports do, that, that, that's brilliant. I, I really like that. I just think it's a helpful way of, of having a good perspective on things and, and thinking about it a little bit differently because, you know, like I said, you know, basketball players aren't just playing basketball. It would be crazy for runners just to be running all the time. And so, you know, the next question is, well, what's all the other stuff that the athlete that specializes in running should be doing? Of course, we're going to focus on mileage and hard workouts. You know, that's our sports-specific activity. That is what's going to make you into a better runner, no doubt, hands down. But with that said, there's other things in our training that are equally important. Uh, everything from form drills that you can do before workouts uh, that help not only help you warm up, but help reinforce good mechanics, those good movement patterns, uh, and that reinforce proper running form. Mm -hmm. there's strength training. You know, I don't even like to consider strength training cross training. It's just part of the training that runners have to do to achieve Fantastic. their potential. I mean. So, you know, <laughs> there's the, the, you know, there's the, uh, 
the strength training you do in a gym, which I think is very valuable, the, the lifting heavy weights, some of the explosive movements, that certainly has a place in runner's training. But then there's also the body weight, strength exercises, the push-ups, the planks, the bridges, so many others that I think are uh, really important, primarily more for injury prevention. Yep. Um, and then there's also the way in which we run. You know, everything from are you only running on the sidewalk or are you getting in some trails to get on a more uneven surface to work on, you know, your body's ability to handle a variable terrain? I think yep. that's really important. Yep. Uh, and then, of course, there's there's hill training and all the other different ways that you can develop strength and balance and proprioception and coordination. Um, you know, uh, sprinting is another great example. You know, even if you're training for an ultra marathon, should you run really, really fast every once in a while? I think so. Yep. I think, again, something it helps develop. <laughs> yes, it helps develop good form. Uh, yep. it's, it reinforces good mechanics. Uh, and it does help you get into better shape. Mm-hmm. Although it's not very specific to the ultra marathon distance, being in better shape, being a better athlete is always going to put you in a better position to succeed. So you, so, you touched a point there. Can I just interrupt you there for a sec, Joe? Um, doing sprinting and doing these high-intensity type of workouts is going to get you in better shape than long-distance running. Would you agree with that statement? I think if it's used in conjunction with the distance work in an intelligent way, then yes, absolutely. There's got to be that balance. Yeah. And I think this is a, a really, um, just an important point to, to uh, I think this is especially for women in my, in my experience, um, that doing the, the super long distance type of running can actually make you put on weight. I know it did with me. Um, and, and that's quite a, a mental shift as well. What I would, you know, but your body becomes more efficient. Your, your metabolism becomes super efficient and goes, okay, it, it, I'm going to keep everything, and especially if you're in overtraining all the time, which in my uh, certainly the first half of my career I was constantly in overtraining. Um, then you can actually end up being uh, heavier, puffier, holding water, and all of these sorts of things. I just thought I'd drop that in there as a bit of a, um, uh, you know, it's 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 counterintuitive for when you do the high intensity type of workouts, even if you are an ultra marathon runner it's going to change your shape and it's going to change the way you run and it's going to change a whole lot of things that are going to be beneficial for your long distance running and also your health, of course. Absolutely. And, and a big part of that is hormonal. Yes. You know, the things that happen in your body when you go run at an easy effort for two hours is very different than the things that happen in your body when you are doing, you know, maybe six or eight times 200 meters really fast, you know, that is a whole different animal and it's going to elicit lots of different changes in your body compared with that really long workout. And, you know, we were mentioning strength training earlier. That's another great example of, you know, you get in the weight room and you're doing heavy squats or deadlifts. That is also a very strong hormonal stress that is going to increase testosterone and growth hormone, which is really great for weight loss. And even if you are a woman, you know, there is still a a testosterone and growth hormone stimulus from strength training that I think is really important. Um, The other thing I wanted to clarify too, is that, you know, just because we're talking about running fast and how valuable that is, that doesn't necessarily mean we mean hard workouts. You know, running fast and something being hard can, can, can be two very different things. You know, there's definitely a lot of overlap, mm-hmm. almost like a Venn diagram, yep. but you could look at, you know, a series of strides, 
hundred meter accelerations where you get up to about maybe mile race pace, but then you're only holding that for about two seconds. You coast to a stop. A stride is very fast, but is it hard? I would argue no. You get full recovery. The whole thing is only about a hundred meters, and you know only a a sliver of that full stride is at that fast effort. So you can practice running fast to get some of the benefits of speed work without it necessarily being a super intense workout. Well, that's a really good perspective because, yeah, it doesn't have to be balls to the wall, so to speak, every time either (laughs) when you're doing high-intensity training. And this is another mistake I I did make when I started doing more of the high-intensity workouts uh, speed workouts it would be absolute to the wall every time thinking that that's what was required for the change and absolutely hating it and I think it's really important to point out too that you um, you need to be able to read your body on the day like following a plan and this is what we try and get our athletes to do is yes you have a plan you have a you know your coach says do this this and this and this but if you are not up to it today because I don't know the kids were sick all night uh, you've got a, a bit of a cold coming, you've got a really stressful day behind you, you know, all of these things are going to perfect your performance. If we learn uh, to be intuitive and listen to our body sometimes, would you agree that that sometimes brings more benefit? Because sometimes what, as high-performance athletes or just everyday warriors, we tend to just go hard or go home, and that is the mentality. If it's not hurting, uh, if it's not difficult, then it isn't a workout. Do you think that there, there's validity in starting to uh, listen to your body as well as following a, a completely regimented program? Yeah, I'm in complete agreement with you. I like to look at training plans as a roadmap to your final destination. Can you take a wrong turn and still get to your final destination? Absolutely. So the training plan is really an ideal set of directions. You can go off course, you can make modifications, and that doesn't mean you're not going to get to where you want to go. So it's very important to look at a training plan that way and to make changes if you think that your body is not up to the task. You know, I like to say that, you know, the best workout for you today is what your body is ready for. And sometimes you might have a hard workout planned, but your body simply isn't ready for that. And so if you were to push through and try to complete that workout, you are potentially risking an injury, but you're also just not going to feel good. It's going to sap your motivation, your drive to train, and you're not going to get as much out of the workout because you're not going to be able to perform as well as you were really hoping to. So I think you have to be flexible with training plans. Um, You know, of course, this doesn't mean that at every hint of fatigue or soreness, you abandon a workout. But, you know, if there is something substantial going on, then it does work in your best interests to maybe shorten the workout. Maybe you run the workout a little bit slower. Maybe you even delay the workout a day if you Mm -hmm. need an extra, you know, few kilometers of easy running just to shake your body out before the harder effort the following day. And, you know, most runners are so type A that we just want to be crushing our training plan. (laughs) And, you know, you know, like my athletes, they want to email me and say, coach, I did everything exactly the way that you lined it out in the schedule. And sometimes I'm like, you've been doing that for like a couple months now. And I'm honestly getting a little worried. You're going to have to change the schedule up sometimes. I don't think I've ever written a training plan for myself that I haven't had to change within two weeks. So, you know, there's always changes that you can make to a training plan and that's just fine. 
That's perfect. And, and just, um, you know, it gives people to, permission to just start to listen to their bodies and not always go hard out. Um, so that brings me to a, another point that I wanted to s- discuss with you. Is there a difference when you, like, that you find between training men and women? Um, and the different age groups as well. So, um, if you're if you're training, say, a 45 year old woman who's got three children, hasn't run before, um, versus you know uh, a 20 year old male athlete who's done track at school, um, how do you see some major differences in the in the in between men and women? Um, firstly, and the way that they get performance, or is it like, like what I'm? What, um, what am I trying to say? I, I'm what I see is a very big component from the hormonal side, from the genetic side is, is huge, uh, and then the, your age. So you've got to bring all of these aspects to bear when you're creating uh, a training regimen for somebody. Um, do you see uh, that this one size fits all? Because a lot of people say, and I know you probably come across this problem, oh, I just downloaded a marathon training plan off the internet. I don't need a coach, you know. <laughs> and it's like, uh. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, that, that always happens. Um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, there, there are certainly some differences, um, you know, everything from the, the physiological. Uh, but what I have discovered through my coaching, and I typically work with, the, the, the slightly advanced to beginner runner. You know, if you're running marathons and you're a male, I'm probably working with like the 245 and slower group. You know, I'm not really working mm-hmm. with the, the super yeah. elite athletes. Yeah, me neither. Um, so, so knowing that, what I've found to be the biggest difference between men and women is simply uh, not necessarily their biology or their physiology, how they respond to training, uh, but it's more like, you know, what's going on outside of your running that is then affecting your training. So, um, you know, and, and this is going to be stereotypical, but I mean, a lot of it is, is because it's true. More women that I work with are either staying at home or working part-time or caring for children compared with more men who are working, you know, a, a normal kind of a schedule. And so the way that we have to work around their schedules is a lot different. Yeah. Um, so I have discovered that, I mean, that's, that, that's just kind of what you do with a coach. You work around your schedule and your time availability and things like that so that you can really hit the priority workouts and things like that. Um, I think a big part of it too is simply, like you were saying, you know, be kind to yourself. If you have to give yourself permission to delay a workout or run a workout a little bit slower or shorter, then that is totally fine. And that sometimes has to happen if you've been up with your kids. You know, yeah. if, if you're a mom, you have a bunch of kids, you're home with them, you know, something has to give and not everyone's number one priority is their running. Yeah. Um, another big issue with age is just the, the ability to recover yeah. and how much intensity is appropriate to be scheduled into a training plan. Um, so any training plan that I write, whether it's for one of my one-on-one coaching athletes that I'm working with very, uh, uh, you know, closely with, or if it's someone who just wants me to write them a custom training plan for some goal that they have, you know, I always ask how old they are because mm-hmm. if they're 25, I might be much more aggressive with the progression of mileage, the progression of of workouts and things like that, and intensity, rather than the person who's 60. Uh, and, and simply doesn't have the ability to recover. 
So a lot of that is simply your background. You know, if you're 60 years old, but you're used to running 50 miles a week, then you're probably in a better position than someone who's 25, but has only been running 15 miles a week. And apologies for using the imperial system of (laughs) podcast, Lisa. My American side is coming through. (laughs) We sort of want to say that. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, those are the big differences that I see. Uh, But yeah, I mean, I'm not in the lab taking like blood tests and and calibrating workouts to that level of detail. No, no, we aren't either. And, And to be honest, you know, I don't think that's... Um, I mean, there are the specialist ones, you know, for, if you're going to go to the Olympics, you're going to need all that stuff. But uh, for, for most of us, for, for, for weekend warriors, for people who want to actually achieve something fantastic, either distance-wise, or for them a personal best, then that level is usually not required so much. You know, it's more about uh, understanding how not to injure yourself, how to get the best out of yourself and how to how to uh, get your mind in the game as well. So that, that's the next thing that I want to talk about is how big is mindset for you as a coach and as, a, as an athlete yourself? I mean, I think mindset is is almost just as important as the physical training itself, because how you think about the sport, how you uh, uh, you know, grapple with some of the training decisions that you have to make makes all the difference. You know, if you don't have the motivation to train, the drive to get up early in the morning to get your workouts in, uh, if you don't know how to set your goals appropriately, if you get distracted by every little new training fad and you <laughs> kind of ignore the fundamentals, you know, those aren't problems with your your talent or your ability to train it's really problems you know between the ears up yep. here and yep. those things can really be changed and upgraded and really improved for the better through working on your mindset and so yeah it's it's huge you know and and i think one of the most important things when it comes to uh building that mindset is to look at it as a skill you know this is not something that people are born with this yeah. is something that people work on regularly And it's the only way that you're going to improve everything from, you know, how confident you are. Well, what is confidence? Confidence is an inner belief that you can do something. And the only way that you build that is by going out and doing things. And so (laughs) you have to actually have some success to start developing confidence and you have to be okay with failure. And so it's just this constant process of exposing yourself to stress, being okay with failure and, and gradually building up all of the mental skills that are important for runners. You know, everything from, you know, confidence to uh, having the right intensity level. You know, like you're, you're probably going to be very different on the starting line of a 1500 meter race than you are at a hundred mile ultra marathon. Yeah. Yeah. The level of intensity that you need is so dramatically different. Yeah. And so that is a big part of being a successful runner is being able to modulate that intensity to go up, to go down. And, you know, to not attack your recovery run with the same vigor that you attack a series of intervals on the track. Um, So, yeah, I'm sure we could talk about mental toughness and focus uh, and some of the other aspects of of mental fitness, which is the kind of term I use to describe all these skills that are so beneficial for runners. Yeah, and and I think it's I think it's the biggest part of the puzzle. You know, like we can we can follow the regimens and we can follow all the plans, but if we haven't got our mind in the right place and learning, and this is an ongoing, forever growth area for all of us. But it affects what I find also is that the mental side of being an athlete in general really benefits everything else that you do in your life, and therefore it has a benefit not just in the in, in the running sense 
but also for, for every every problem that you've tackled or that you're about to tackle. Um, it, 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 it's why I think, you know, um, athletes do really well in the corporate setting or in the education setting or in your careers or whatever they decide to have a go at because they do have a framework of being able to push through, be disciplined, resilience. We've all failed, you know, dozens of times because if you're not failing and you probably haven't been pushing yourself really to the to the nth degree and I think that the the mental side of the game for me is probably yeah well, it's right up there I mean you can't do the you can't do the running without the, the um the mileage but by the same token you're not going to get very far if you haven't worked on your mental game and there's lots of aspects to to that whole thing um, For sure. And yeah. one of my favorites is uh, talking about mental toughness, because I think this is the, the sexiest Six mental words. skill that runners, <laughs> they want to have it. They think it's this great panacea that will solve all of their problems. And, you know, we've been talking about these uh, mental skills as skills, right? And, and I think that's a really important frame to use, because like any skill, it will atrophy over time if you don't practice it, if you don't use it if you don't further hone that skill. And so when we're talking about mental toughness, you know, that really comes from your ability to stay calm and be proactive whenever you face adversity. You know, what is the path forward rather than on, you know, getting getting anxious or not knowing how to make a decision and letting any kind of anxiety or fear make you succumb to those feelings. Yep. And so you know, if you can proactively look around when, when if you're in a race situation and something happens, your shoe falls off, your first, uh, you know, 2K is way too slow or even way too fast. Um, or, you know, you show up to the start of the race and it's pouring rain and, and they're like, we're going to run the race anyway. You know, mm -hmm. how do you proactively respond to those situations? Mm -hmm. And the more that you can flex that muscle and develop yep. that skill, the more that you'll be able to encounter nearly any situation and just have that framework, like you mentioned, of responding to it constructively rather than on, woe is me, I'm going to complain about everything and, and all that. And, and I completely agree with you, Lisa. I do think that athletes go on to be more successful than non-athletes because of the skills that they have learned in sport. Yep. And we're not talking about how fast your mile time is or, yep. or whether or not you've run 100 miles in one go. We're talking about the mental aspects of sport, yep. you know, and, and this really transcends running and I think is very much applicable to almost any sport. But, but running is fairly unique, isn't it? It's, it's one of the few sports where you have to actively want to experience more and more discomfort because the more <laughs> discomfort that you experience, the more successful you're going to be when you cross yeah. the finish line, exactly. the faster you're going to be. So yeah. this is very odd kind of a dynamic, yeah. but I think that does just make runners incredibly mentally tough. And they do bring that toughness into many other aspects of their life. Yeah, do you think we're masochistic and by nature then? Because a lot of people come to me and go, what you do is absolutely mad and why would you put yourself through that? And and it's the same, you know, like if you're doing shorter distances, this is another misconception. Um, you know, people come and say, oh, I want to run my first 5K, oh, but I'm not a real runner like you because you, you did the last long distance. And I'm going, hang on, hang on, hang on. Any distance is different. So every distance that you want to attempt is a complete different beast. If I'm doing 100 metres, 
it's 100 meters of full intensity and I need to train for years and, and, and hone that particular skill. If I'm doing a five kilometer, the same deal. If I'm doing a 10, they're all different. So no, so no comparison between apples and oranges for starters. And then, um, you know, understanding that, you know, you just, I think, do, do you agree with that? Like it's uh, the, the apples and oranges comparison is, is, is a silly one for starters. Yeah, I think so. I think the idea that real runners just run a lot while <laughs> non-real runners just focus on the shorter distances is just insane. Yeah. Um, because those shorter events are arguably more difficult than some yep. of the longer events. They are more technical. They require m- much more refined sense of pacing and strategy. Um, you know, any look, watch almost any final of the 1500 in the Olympics, and you'll see that it is an extremely tactical race. Yep. Uh, and so th- those elements of those races make them very difficult. It's almost like the difference between, you know, whether or not you want to put your hand in a fire, like if you were racing 1500 meters, or if you just want to go out on the beach one day when it's really, really incredibly hot without any sunscreen for 10 hours, you know, very different. You're going <laughs> to get burned in both, in both situations, but it's <laughs> just a analogy. different experience. It just kind of depends on whether you want to condense the pain into a very <laughs> short period of time, or you want to stretch it out a little bit longer. <laughs> so that goes back to the masochistic side of it all. Why is it, why is it important as human beings to actually want to push through pain barriers, to want to uh, struggle, to encounter more and more resistance? You know, what is the benefit of, of doing something like that when, as compared to sitting on the couch and eating Oreos? Yeah, well, both can be fun. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, I mean, I think it is some part of the human condition that we want to explore. We want to cross that final frontier and see what lies beyond, you know, everything from, uh, you know, the, the Spanish sending Columbus over to the new world to yep. Lewis and Clark moving across the United States to going to the moon, to seeing what you can accomplish in a marathon. You know, they're all kind of the same human drive to explore the frontiers and I just think it's very exciting, but you're absolutely right. We are slightly masochistic. And, uh, <laughs> you know, sometimes I uh, joke around with my wife and I say, I'm going to go to the track and do this workout. And she's like, oh, why are you doing that workout? That sounds terrible. And I'm like, yeah, I just, I just want to feel alive. Yeah, I, I know that afterwards it. I'll feel very pleased with myself. I'll have that nice BDNF, brain-derived neurotrophic factor, that runner's high, and I will feel like I've accomplished something today. <laughs> exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, like uh, there's, a, there's a saying that I loved. It was on the – I did boxing for a while, and it's, it, um, it was a saying on the wall, strength comes from struggle. In everything that we do in life, if you think about it, the more resistance we encounter and have to – uh, do something to overcome that, the stronger we come out at the other end of that. So whether that's weightlifting, which is the obvious analogy, the, the heavier weights that I progressively, and progressive is the, 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 the important word there, progressively lift, uh, the stronger I will be, the, the, the more I train, the better I will be, the more I box, the, the better I'll be at that. Whatever the resistance is that I'm having to overcome, it will make me as a human being stronger in some, in some way, shape or form. It seems to be, uh, you know, one of the, the rules of physics, you know, we cannot be strong without a weight on us or without a stress on our bodies, you know, that whole hermetic stress, 
causing adaptation and making us stronger is valid in the sporting realm, but also in in the realm just just in everything in life. I think that's yeah, I th- why you know we do this. I, I think that's that's completely true, and it's just um, you know it's it's almost part of the reason why we are who we are. Uh, we are human beings, and we only adapt when there is a stimuli to prompt that adaptation. So it's, it's definitely true. And it's, it's not just in the physical too. You know, I can look back on, you know, my own personal running career and see all the times when I was told I couldn't do something and that made me want to do it even more. And I went on to achieve it. You know, I remember (laughs) when I first started, uh, someone in my family telling me, Oh, you'll never run a sub five minute mile. Oh, you better watch out now. Now yeah. I'm going to run that sub five. And, and I did. And I did. I remember someone in college telling me the steeplechase, which is a crazy event with barriers and a water pit. And they said, this race is extremely challenging. It has chewed up and spit out much better runners than you. Ugh. And uh, I ran the race anyway. I won it, qualified for the, the regional meet. And, you know, it's just one of those <laughs> things where... You better not tell a type A runner that he can't do something because that is going to light a fire under him. And you know that, that's a form of struggle, I think. The struggle Absolutely. of other people telling you things that you can't do or yep. getting injured and, and, and being on the couch watching episodes of House for six months, yep. <laughs> not being to- able to train. Yeah, and having to overcome those, those, I mean, that's definitely in my career too. I've been told so many times in my life, you can't do something and that just really gets me going. One of the interesting things, you say type A personality and I, um, uh, I, I study uh, functional genomics and epigenetics and um, I, there's, a, there's a gene, there's a, there's a gene uh, called the DRD2 gene without getting too technical, but this is the one that looks at how much dopamine your body, how many, how much receptors you have on your cells for, to take up dopamine. And dopamine is our reward uh, neurotransmitter, if you like. Um, and why this is interesting is that I just got my gene test back and my DRD2 gene, I have the lowest level of receptors for dopamine. Now, what that makes me, and the, the, the scientist who was explaining this to me, he said, well, no wonder you've done what you've done because you're never going to get the reward that normal people would get if they had a if they had the other gene variants where they're actually getting more dopamine, so they get that satisfaction and that fulfillment much quicker. Um, with my combination, there I don't get that reward very much, so it's very small and very short. Um, so I'm constantly chasing the next mission or the next thing that that is going to give me a reward so this is a very addictive uh it can work itself out as being if you go into the negative you can become you know have addictive problems um with with drugs alcohol whatever um addictions you can go into or it can be that you become a workaholic or a or a runaholic or a um and i was just like Oh wow! So this is an actual physical reason, or a, a genetic reason, why I am always on a mission, and why I am a Type A personality. And 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 I I I just wonder if a lot of us have that that uh, low dopamine uh, receptors who are very very you know driven and determined to to achieve all these goals. Whereas another yeah. person who has a lot of dopamine might go, oh, I ran a mile today. 
great, I can go and sit on the couch now. I'm happy. <laughs> I'm happy with myself. Whereas for me, it's like, well, I did this, this, and this, and this, and it's not enough. I've got to go and do that as well, you know? <laughs> uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm kind of the same way. And I, and I feel like it's, while I haven't had a gene test to, to prove that, you know, I, I definitely kind of look back on my life and I see, wow, I have really gotten, quote unquote, addicted to certain things in my life. And, you know, I'm, I go all in, whether that is running, whether that is my business strength running, yep. uh, whether that was, you know, my my wife and, you know, I met her in college and I never let her out of my sight since. Uh, now we're married <laughs> with three kids. Lovely. And yeah, I mean, it's certainly a double-edged sword and you need to make sure you wield that personality trait of yours appropriately so you don't go down a dark path yeah yeah, absolutely but I think yeah a lot of us would have that if we if we look at very uh you know high performance athletes or people who start a lot of businesses or do anything we've probably all got that problem (laughs) and it is a double-edged sword so we need to be a little bit careful and I think for for me what has been tough um as an athlete too in coming from a background where toughness was expected uh from a you know a family that was mentally and physically into toughness um is actually being kind to yourself sometime and realizing that less is sometimes more and that sometimes maybe doing a yoga session is more important than the interval session um and learning to to you know just read your body and be a little bit more intuitive because sometimes if you have that type a personality you do tend to override everything and that can be unhealthy physically and and unhealthy mentally as well for sure in the way i think about that type a drive and the toughness just to persevere is that you know if you want to be the 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 toughest person on the the starting line or or even better the toughest person at the finish line yeah then i think you know how do you do that well you can be one of the fastest people across the finish line and so in my mind i was always thinking okay if i want to be the best then, and, and I never really became the best in, in almost any endeavor that I've ever done, but it's always the process of trying mm. to do it. Mm. I've always found that, you know, you have to kind of be kind to yourself in order to be tough. Yep. So if you want to be the, the fastest person across the finish line, that means you need to have the best training or more, probably more accurately, the best training for you. And yep. sometimes that means not running that workout. Sometimes that means sleeping in and getting an extra hour of sleep because your body needs the recovery. Mm -hmm. If it's in service of the ultimate goal, which is, you know, maybe running a PR, qualifying for a certain race, reaching a new distance that you've never run before, you know, that is the tough thing that you are trying to do, the the personal best, you know, the qualification. And you have to be kind to then get the tough result that you're looking for. It's, that's so, yeah, that's put. the way I look at it. Yeah, that, that's a really super analogy. Sometimes looking at the bigger goal rather than the immediate, this is the next step I'm meant to take, but not feeling it, and looking at the bigger picture and saying, is that actually going to get me there in the long run? That's, yeah, that's, that's really cool. A, a lot of runners, they, they look at all the little steps that they have to take to accomplish the big goal, and they think that every single little step is absolutely 100% critical. Yeah. And it's not actually that necessary. You know, we're talking about training plans and how it's like a roadmap. You can take a different set of directions. You'll still get there. And and it's almost a similar analogy here. You can skip some of those steps. You can do some of those steps twice, maybe. And we get so obsessed with those little steps that we lose sight of the bigger picture. You know, the goal isn't to run your 15 kilometer run today. 
the goal is to qualify for that race yeah. or run that certain time. And maybe you shouldn't run that 15 kilometers today. So yeah. I'm always thinking about what I actually want to accomplish rather than on, you know, the, the training that helps me get there. Because sometimes yeah. that training has to be changed, has to be totally scrapped or just slightly modified. That is brilliant. That is absolutely brilliant. Love it. Um, so but, uh, I, I wanted to touch briefly on mobility work because um, this is something that I think is also something sorely neglected by many runners. Um, why is it important to keep your body uh, not just run fit but and not just strength training, which is a hugely important thing? We both agree there. Um, is mobility a part of your, your regime that you use in your coaching? For sure. I think mobility is really important. Um, and, and I think mobility is one of those things that, that is somewhat confusing, I think, to a lot of folks. There's a lot of misconceptions about it. You know, you start talking about mobility and everyone's like stretching, you know, static <laughs> stretching and all that. And, you know, the way I look at it is that mobility is really the ability to move well when you're doing a wide variety of movements, whether that is running up a hill, whether that's sprinting down a hill, or uh, you know, trying to hurdle a barrier in the steeplechase, uh, running a trail race, which has different demands, uh, or even in the weight room, doing squats and deadlifts and presses and other, you know, major lifts like that. And you don't get the mobility necessary to thrive in those circumstances by sitting around doing a bunch of static stretching. We really have to, uh, I think thinking about mobility as two separate things is really important. The The first, and I think, easiest for runners to understand is the dynamic flexibility drills that mm -hmm. you might do uh, before you go running. You know, mm -hmm. I have a lot of routines on strength running, uh, standard warm-up, the matic warm-up. Um, these are, you know, dynamic warm-up routines yep. that do everything a good warm-up should do. You know, they're going to elevate your heart rate, your respiration, um, open up capillary beds in your extremities, lubricate joints, really metabolically prime your body to go mm, running. Perfect. And you do that through a lot of exaggerated dynamic movements that have the side benefit of really making you a more coordinated athlete. So mm -hmm. if you can do a bunch of, of great dynamic movements, you know, you're building coordination, you're building balance, you're building that athleticism. Uh, and then there's drills. I think form drills are really important. Uh, once or twice a week for most runners is, is really great to do that. And, you know, uh, I, I never forget when I was in college, I went to this professional indoor track meet and I got to see Alan Webb, who's an American miler. He has the uh, U.S. mile record. I think he ran 347 in the wow. mile. Just incredibly fast, powerful man. And before he was running the 3K, he was on the infield doing a series of drills as part of his warm up. And I'm sitting there with my friends from college. We're all distance runners. We can do drills. You know, we kind of think of ourselves as, you know, these good athletes. And Alan Webb was doing drills that I've never seen before <laughs> that were so incredibly complex. Wow. And he looked fluid and smooth and graceful. And when you're able to move like that, you have much more control over your body. You're yeah. not going to get hurt as frequently. And you're going to have more control to run faster. You know, yeah. all of the, the small, you know, subtle movements that allow you to accelerate, to move around a competitor. You know, these are all really important. Um, and I know I'm going a little off track here, but no, no, you know, the, on track. I love it. 
the uh, the other side of mobility training is the type of running that you're doing. You know, yes, we can work on mobility outside of running with drills, with dynamic flexibility movements, and even things like foam rolling. Yep. But then when it comes to our training, I think including things that enhance mobility is just as important. So everything from, you know, let's make sure we're running hilly terrain, just mm-hmm. because that is a whole different movement than running on flat ground. Yep. Um, let's make sure that we are running fast regularly, because that is a very, uh, a much bigger range of motion than yep. just plodding along at a very easy effort. Um, and then there's, you know, everything from uh, strength training, you know, are we getting in the gym to do some of those compound multi-joint movements that are so critical for, mm-hmm. um, you know, strength and flexibility and, and coordination? You know, so there's a lot of different ways that we can work on mobility. Um, but I think it's, it's certainly not static stretching and it really encapsulates the dynamic flexibility movements, but then mm-hmm. also what you're doing in your training to make sure that you can move well. Yep. Perfect. And, and that coordination and proprioception side of it is just absolutely essential too. After, um, having, you know, you know, the story with my mum, um, and we're working with someone with a massive brain injury where you realize they have no, like you're starting from scratch when it comes to proprioception, balance, coordination. So all of the little wee things that we just take for granted as, you know, semi healthy human beings is completely broken. And then you realize, how important it is to do all of these, um, you know, I love doing sort of primal type, type movements where you're, you're just doing practical everyday types of things that our ancestors would have done on a daily basis. And because we, you know, sit down in chairs for a lot part of the day or in cars or wherever, um, we're not getting all those little uh, unusual um, pulling and shifting and and stretching and uh, just those all those little proprioception things and coordination things that that we did when we were kids even you know like we running around in the playground on the jungle gyms we were doing handstands we were doing you know all sorts of movements jumping over fences balancing on things if you think of all the stuff that you did as a kid if you can start to involve some of those activities. Uh, into your training plan and improve your whole, um, the, all those sort of primal movement, uh, you know, coordination things that can really help with your running as well and can really help with your fitness in total, uh, not to mention your, your health overall. Um, I think that's a really important point. And having worked with someone with brain injury and realizing like you just didn't have any of that balance sort of stuff, you, how, how much we lose over time as well. Um, as we get older, we seem to lose a heck of a lot of that stuff along the way, and we don't really realize that that, that cartwheel that I used to do, that handstand that I used to do, that, that uh, hanging on the jungle gyms that I used to do as a kid, I can no longer do it. And then all of a sudden you're at 40 or something or you try and do something and you're like, oh, Oh, I can't do it anymore. <laughs> um, so it's trying to avoid that deterioration over time too, and that keeps you really you know, a well-coordinated, athletic uh, person, not just a running person. Because sometimes you do see, like, uh, older runners um, as well, very fit cardiovascular-wise, but very stiff and very um, uh, not strong, a lot of, you know, sarcopenia, losing muscle mass, uh, and not got their coordination. So it's a you've got to have all the pieces of the puzzle, I think is what we're saying here, right? 
Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I have three little kids and one of my favorite ways to work in my mobility is to go to the playground with them and not sit on the bench and watch them play, but actually get in there and play tag, run up and down all the big structures, do climbing, go on the monkey bars. And playgrounds are a great place to identify and isolate your weaknesses. Because if you can... If you can't go up the big steps and you can't hang on something or, you know, fit your body through a small space, then, you know, that's a mobility problem. And, you know, for anyone who thinks, you know, this level of coordination is not important for your running, then, you know, you can come watch my two and a half year old run down the sidewalk. He's not very coordinated and you can tell his form is, is way off and it's just a good uh, illustration of the fact that as he gets older and as all of us build coordination, our stride becomes a lot smoother and fluid and graceful. And that really helps us not only conserve energy while we're out there running, but prevent injuries because we don't have all these wasted movement patterns that are predisposing us to getting hurt. Absolutely. Hey, look, Jason, I want to be mindful of your time. You've been super generous today. It's been really exciting to be able to just chew the fat over running and all the good aspects of a run training program. Um, Jason, you, you have a, a massive website. Most people would have probably seen some of your work, strengthrunning.com. Um, how else can people reach out to you? Um, and is there anything that you'd want to let know people, people know about what you do? Oh, thanks, Lisa. Yeah, I mean, strengthrunning.com is my home base. That's where you'll see the blog. That's where you'll see links to the Strength Running podcast, which is available in Apple Music, Spotify, Stitcher, most of the major platforms. Mm -hmm. So those are the two major sources uh, or platforms, rather, where you can find, you know, the content that I make. Uh, We have a video channel on YouTube as well. But, you know, considering that we talk so much about coordination and strength and movement, uh, you know, I do have a strength course at strengthrunning.com slash strength mm-hmm. that I think is really great. It kind of uh, looks at a lot of the, the myths that runners believe about strength training and addresses those and gives some case studies and example exercises that, you know, I, I think forces runners to think differently about strength training because like I mentioned earlier, it's not cross training. It's just part of the training that you have to do. Uh, So I think that's really uh, important and runners can check that out if they're interested. Uh, But I'm also on social media. You can find me on Twitter or Instagram at JasonFitz1. And if you have any questions, I'd be happy to help. Yeah, you're brilliant. You're a brilliant coach. You're a brilliant uh, role model. Uh, and and I really want to thank you for your time today because it's been really, really cool just to chew the fat with you and to spend some time and um, different backgrounds, but uh, we've come to very similar conclusions, which is interesting. Uh, and it's been really awesome to speak to you today. So thank you very much, Jason. Well, thanks, Lisa. And if I ever make it back to New Zealand, I'm, I'm going to hit you up for a, for a great trail run. <laughs> Sounds awesome, but I'll be a little bit slower than you, mate. <laughs> Especially oh, these right. days. <laughs> <laughs> that's it this week for Pushing the Limits. Be sure to rate, review and share with your friends. And head over and visit Lisa and her team at lisatarmaty.com.